G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you Thursday evening after a slight scheduling issue. I was going to get back into the habit of just doing a Wednesday midweek pod, but instead I'm going to revert to doing the smaller Tuesday, Thursday ones and Sunday sit down with JLo. Uh, here to recap plenty going on in the sporting world. The AFL season is done and dusted. Trade radio is uh, kicking into high gear. The rumour mill is swirling. People are putting in trade requests. So there's plenty to talk about in a football landscape. Of course, the NBA season isn't too far away. Only a couple of weeks now. Game got traded. And then a little bit of NFL stuff will probably squash between the basketball and the footy. So I won't burn all our time talking in the intro. Let's get into the meat of the episode. How fucking good was that grand final? I know there were some people, myself included, as soon as the final siren went, they were a bit disappointed about the play-on advantage call that went to Zach Bailey. But overall, that was a banging grandy. I think the 2018 one is still my personal favourite, which might sound bizarre as a Fremantle fan, but that was an epic game. Comeback from the Coasters and Dom Sheed's infamous goal. And some of the other Eagles ones, ironically, against Sydney in 2005 and six, are right up there. 1989's a classic as well, high-scoring physical affair, but I think the 2023 Grandy will go down as one of the best. I obviously don't want to spend the whole episode unpacking the grand final. It's pretty good to see the Pies win another flag, I'll be honest. I think that some of the greats that they've got in that team, whether you're a fan of Jordan Dugowie or not, I think he deserves to have a premiership medal to his name. Nick Dacos will probably win a couple. He'll win plenty of individual accolades, that's for sure. Nice to see Pendles and Steel Sidebottom get another one. I do feel for some of the Brizzy boys, but I think the best team of the year won, let's be honest. Uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't talk about a couple of AFL fantasy tidbits. And I tell you what, last finals campaign, I watched Caleb Sarong come out against the Doggies and the Pies, score a 122 and a 118. And I don't think you can gauge too much from the finals. Obviously, they're quite standalone games and the best players usually do rise to the top, but... The form that Kadeen Coleman showed in the finals matches on grand final day in particular, actually, it's probably the game that he played against the Blues that impressed me more, but I do think that he has put himself into my 2024 starting side with his efforts. I won't be talking about tons of fantasy stuff in the future, so I'll get it off my chest now, but Kitty Coleman, just throwing a couple of numbers at you. Obviously, grand final day, he had a bonkers 127. It was fueled by a massive first quarter where I think he had 13 or 14 touches. Half his kicks and half his disposals did come from kickouts, but when you include his finals scores from a fantasy perspective, Kitty Coleman went at 93.7 in his final 10 games, and he's priced at 69, nice, heading into next year. So there's a bit of meat on the bone, I reckon. Dan Rich is out of the picture. We'll have to see how Brisbane's list takes shape after the trade period ends, but Kitty Coleman, I think, has put himself into my fantasy side, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of coaches who have a bit of a similar opinion. Sammy Walsh is someone who stood out throughout the finals as well that a lot of people will pick, and there's going to be plenty of value in the midfield. One bloke who we did have our eyes on that obviously isn't going to uh, take part in the early portion of the season, we think, is Callum Mills. So you can probably draw a bit of a line through him, but I am intrigued to see how things unfold over the trade period. Obviously, the Clayton Oliver smoke that has turned into fire that has turned into a massive bonfire and dominated social media for the last few days could have some ripple effects from a fantasy perspective as well. Jack Viney is someone who is perennially underrated 
from a not just footy standpoint, but mainly a fantasy uh, category. I think that he could be someone that gets a little bump if Clary does leave. I would like to see him go to Adelaide. That's the team that's rumoured to make a strong play. They obviously have Shane McAdam that wants to join the Ds. They're armed with plenty of picks to facilitate a deal. My gut tells me that Clayton isn't actually going to get traded, but if he does, it'll be interesting to see which Crows guys suffer. Uh, Jake Saligo is someone that is also on my uh, 2024 watch list, might squeeze into F5 or F4, depending on price and a couple of other bits and pieces. But if Clayton does go to the Crows, that could impact him. I don't think it is a huge deal for Laddy, but it may impact the likes of Saligo, your Luke Peddlers, Josh Rochelle's of the world. So I will do a little bit, a couple of minutes here and there over the off season on fantasy bits and pieces, but I'll try and pump the brakes until we reach the 2024 season, which the fantasy does tend to open. The competition does usually launch what the week before Christmas, late December ish. So that is only uh, call it 10 weeks away, but I'm sure that time will fly by. Swinging my eyes and attention to the NFL. We're four weeks in. One month of football is done and dusted. Teams are starting their bye week. I won't bore you with a lot of fantasy details. If I get JLo on the pod, he and I might hash a couple of things out. But I want to look firstly at my over and under check-in. I reckon I'll do this every month. Four weeks is a nice sample size. And there's a couple of teams that I do want to discuss. But I did hammer the Panthers under this year. I think that they have probably the worst skill position players in the league. Miles Sanders is now hurt as well. Bryce Young has had a really rough start to his rookie campaign. The number one pick has not looked like a number one pick. And as a result, the Panthers are winless. So their win-loss record was sitting at, or the over-under, I should say, was sitting at seven and a half. I hammered the under and they're 0-4. So I think that one's safe as houses. But the others are a little bit murky. The Cardinals under four and a half. I thought they would be tanking, trying to get the worst record in the league. But they've shown some signs of competency, especially in their win over Dallas. So an over-under of four and a half and a record of one and three at the moment. The next couple of weeks are going to be pretty telling. Similar with the Texans, speaking of rookie quarterbacks, uh, the second overall pick in CJ Stroud is bowling right now. He's setting records for his passing and his efficiency. And uh, as a Panthers fan, it's not great to see the bloke who was picked second outshining the bloke who was drafted first but Texans are sitting two and two like I said they're over and under was six and a half so I'm still somewhat optimistic that they can go six and eleven but seven and ten is quite within reach given the way that their quarterbacks playing and the other two two other teams that are sitting at two and two who I went there over are the New Orleans Saints and the Cleveland Browns the Browns in particular you can't really take a lot out of their last game without Deshaun Watson in uniform, but an over under of nine and a half sitting at two and two, that division is going to be really tough. It doesn't seem like they're going to get three playoff teams, but Joe Burrow, we know if he gets healthy, he's going to cause a lot of issues. The Falcons as well. I, I'm big on, I tip them to make the AFC championship game. And then if I turn my attention to the other conference, the new Orleans saints, I thought that they were going to take a big step up or maybe not a big step up, but I thought they were going to at least pencil in 10 wins. They're also at two and two. So We'll have to wait and see how the next month unfolds. I think the team that is going to be in my personal spotlight over the next month the most is the Detroit Lions. Now, they're using the momentum that they built in the back portion of their 2022 campaign to start pretty well. They won the first game of the year against Kansas City in pretty somewhat dramatic fashion. So they're off to a three and one start. There's a very realistic chance they can be sitting at seven and one or six and two the next time I'm checking in with them. And their 2023 draft class is really contributing across the board. They obviously picked 
Jamar Gibbs early running back who's still finding his feet and Dave Montgomery's chewing up a lot of the workload there for the Lions. But I think he is a star of the future. Jack Campbell, meh, but there's second round picks in Sam Laporta, the tight end and Brian Branch, the safety are arguably their most impactful players outside of Aiden Hutchinson. Jared Goff's doing well as a quarterback, but these rookies are really shining and doing the job for Detroit. Laporta's setting records as a tight end for his catches, et cetera. He's been a pretty solid fantasy player. He's the second best tight end at the moment. They've got a star in a Monroe St. Brown as the lead receiver as well. They're going to get Jamison Williams back into the fold soon. So I really like the looks of Detroit and I don't know if I'm super convinced in them as like a Super Bowl threat, but they're surely going to be uh, NFC North winner and pencil themselves into a four seed, three seed in the playoffs. So I'll be intrigued to see how their next month of football unfolds for them. Flipping sides, the other conference, Miami is the team that's really interested me from the AFC. They, again, will have some hefty competition with the Buffalo Bills for the AFC East crown, but they're loaded offense fills me with a lot of confidence betting on Miami and hoping that they can really make some waves, not just in the regular season, but actually in the playoffs as well. Obviously it will come down quite a lot to Tua Tagovailoa's health, but considering the fact that he's been healthy and looking like an MVP so far, I think the Dolphins are in pretty good nick. All right. This is the thing I really wanted to discuss. Let's talk hoops. The NBA is going to tip off in about three weeks. Fantasy leagues are starting to prepare and there's a lot happening. You know, we've got, uh, the East team's making a lot of waves. There's another star in the East who might still be traded. No one's really talking about the Denver Nuggets, who I think are still the best team in the West. But Phoenix and the Lakers probably improved their roster to challenge Denver. So over the next couple of weeks, there's going to be plenty to talk about. But I do want to unpack Portland's return for Damian Lillard. Now, obviously, we know that Miami Heat came at them ahead of training camp, uh, summer league rather, and they really wanted to force the issue to get this trade done make sure that Dame wasn't in Portland colors so that they could focus on their youthful core. But in saying that their new GM, Joe Cronin didn't settle. He could have quite happily taken Miami's offer and just washed his hands with Dame, but by standing pat and not settling, he's actually got a better haul in my eyes and probably got a lot of assets that can help maybe facilitate future trades or some other ladder picks that could convey in the latter part of the decade. So when you unpack it all, I do think that they got, very good returns. You know, DeAndre Ayton, say what you want about him, but I'm actually quite optimistic that he has his best basketball in front of him. Double-double machine. He looked like a bit more of a a scoring force at Arizona during his college days, no surprise. But I think that he is still young enough to be their franchise cornerstone at center, and he can build with their budding backcourt of Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson. So I really do like Portland getting the DeAndre Ayton piece. He's the stereotypical guy that will benefit from a fresh start, getting out of Phoenix. He's clashed with the coaches. The organization has been linked to trading him for the better part of two, three years. So I do think that him starting over somewhat in Portland will be beneficial for him and the Blazers. They got another big man in Robert Williams III. His skill set is quite defense orientated. He doesn't offer a lot other than being a rim running big who, you know, he can he can do a bit of stuff, but he's not going to be canning threes. So I wouldn't be shocked if he starts the season with Portland and then they do end up flipping him. Similar with Malcolm Brogdon, a veteran guard who probably doesn't want to spend his mm, 
he's not really in the middle of his career, but he's not towards the yeah middle to latter part of his career. He won't want to be spending that sitting on a rebuilding Portland team. And he probably isn't going to be your lead guard. He might be a six-man contender, as he has done in the past. But I think that there's still value for a contending side to go out and get Brogdon, who's ironically actually uh, only a month younger than me, which makes me feel really old. But the 30-year-old still has potential to be an asset for a contending side. So him and Robert Williams may be flipped for future picks. They did get Tamani Kamara as well, who I'll be honest, I know a bit about him. I know he played for the Dayton Flyers in college, but I don't think he's the prized asset of this trade. Hopefully we can see him get an opportunity in Portland. He was drafted in the second round by Phoenix this year with a 52nd pick. So you won't be expecting him to go out there and change the game, but it's another piece. He might develop into a player. You never know. We've seen picks in the 40s and 50s become household names before. Shout out Nikola Jokic. Part of the reason that Portland wanted to delay these trades is they wanted to try and obviously get a couple of better draft assets. And I think they definitely did that, not only by flipping Dame to the Bucks, but then by on-trading Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics. So they actually have three unprotected firsts. They've got, well, not truly unprotected, but they do have Golden State's pick this year, top four protected. I think it's fair to say that Golden State will not be selecting inside the top four, but I could be wrong. They got Boston's pick in 2029, Milwaukee's pick in 2029 as well. And then they have a couple of pick swaps with the Bucks that'll kick in when Giannis turns 33. So as a whole, you look at all these assets, four players, three firsts, plus a pair of pick swaps. That's a really good return for Damian Lillard. And I'm glad to see that even though the player empowerment era is alive and well, and Dame insisted that he wanted to be traded to the Miami Heat, that they didn't relinquish and they were able to still trade him to a contending side. I think he's quite chuffed to be playing with Giannis. And at the same time, they got some really valuable assets that can they use to either, like I said, package for trading for another star when these younger guys develop, or hopefully they can hit on a couple of these picks and they can really fast forward their rebuild. Before I go, let's have a quick yarn about James Harden. Now, this is a bloke who's about to ask out for his third team the Clippers reportedly are going to trade for him. He hasn't shown up to media day. He then showed up to training camp today with the Sixers in Colorado, took part in a bit of practice, then bailed. So I'll say it. This guy fucking sucks. I'm really not a James Harden fan. I know that he definitely is still a great basketballer, but the report that came out today was he tried to do a similar thing to what Jimmy Butler did in Minnesota about half a dozen years ago. So he said that they can beat the starters. He teamed up with the backups and said that they've got it. And then the Philly starters went out and outscored Harden squad in quotation marks, 21 to three. So this guy said he's going to be making a scene until he gets his trade request. And there's not a lot that Philly can do. I mean, the Clippers and the rest of the NBA know that James Harden wants out. They know that the LA Clippers are his preferred destination. So they're not going to give up a shitload of assets. If I'm running the Chicago Bulls, I think that this is an all right, risk. You try and trade for a guy like Harden, you probably don't want to give up Levine or DeRozan in that trade. But if you have to, depending on Lonzo Ball's health, it might be a gamble that could pay off. I know that Chicago, with their current roster construct, probably isn't a playoff team. They could surprise us and make the play-in game, but I don't see them as a top six contender out east, especially given how strong the top of the conference is now. And you have other teams like the Knicks, the Cavs, uh, who else is in it? The Pacers are someone who springs to mind as a team that might make some noise this year. The Atlanta Hawks as well. Brooklyn is another one who has some promising talent. 
there's plenty of competition for those last couple of playoff spots. And I think that Chicago is on the outside looking in right now. So if I'm them, I don't hate the idea of rolling the dice. Maybe you can trade him for Lonzo as a salary filler. You can put Caruso in there and maybe a Kobe White or something. Maybe with a couple of picks, the Sixers pull the trigger on that just to simply get rid of the bloke. But I'm intrigued to see how this does unfold because obviously we've seen Harden kick up a stink before and he has gone to the teams that he's wanted to go to. He was obviously in Houston and not happy. He went to Brooklyn with Kyrie and KD, then spat the chewy there and has landed in Philadelphia. And now history is repeating itself. So will the Sixers relinquish and end up trading him to the Clippers? Maybe, but I don't think that they're going to get a ton in return from LA. So I'm very intrigued to watch this over the next couple of weeks before the regular season starts and see if Harden does get a new home and what exactly the Sixers get in return. There is your bite-sized Sportsbee pod recapping a bit of everything, uh, AFL, NFL, NBA. I didn't dive a lot into the NBL. I've been doing a couple of bits and pieces with the game day squad boys, writing articles for them, doing the round recap. And I have made an NBL super coach team as well. So I might talk about that in the future a little bit more, a little bit length, but yeah, for now, I think I've, uh, I've given plenty to the Sportsbee fans. Obviously, Articles are dropping on sportsbyfry.com all the time. I did just drop this week the AFL team of the year, the AFL fantasy team of the year, rather. So you had your midfielders, defenders, rucks, forwards, then a couple of bench picks. It was pretty tricky to try and nail the last couple of bench picks. A lot of defenders actually uh, took up space there. So I'll throw the link to that in the show notes. You can check that out or you can hit up the website to view that one. Got an intriguing compare the pair coming uh in the near future as well. Once again, though, thanks for listening. Appreciate you tuning into this episode and I'll catch you next time.